Hey everybody, we are Black in Business. My name is Brandy Permenter and I'm here alongside my co-host, Justin Jackson. While you're here, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Also, please give us a follow on Instagram at blackinbusiness.jb. All right, so today we're talking about racism in and out of the United States. And it's very clear through, you know, social media posts and the news and things that people have just been saying that many Americans and individuals in and out of our country uh, believe that racism is a thing of the past. And it's simply not true. It's it's not. Um, Absolutely. We we see it in obviously in our in our police systems. We see it in corporations. We see it in education. You see it in entertainment, education, housing. You know, the list goes on and on. A big way of solving this problem in our country and many other countries would be using your voice as a majority. So whatever the majority race is in that specific country, obviously, uh, white people in our country make up that majority. But using your voice to show that these problems are prevalent and that they cut down other people by a significant margin and how seriously it affects those communities Mm -hmm. absolutely we like we need even those a part of the majority to be an ally of those of minorities and that's really how things will get going and change will happen so we did uh extensive research through NPR and the conversation.com. And there were several studies that showed how white families and white parents don't really talk about racism at home. So although racism is a popular topic right now, a lot of families who are not of a minority don't really talk about it and don't really educate their children on it. So for instance, one study found that 81% of white mothers believed it was important to have a discussion about racism, but only 62% of them reported actually having that conversation. And then on top of that, even fewer of them, one third, said that they could recall that specific conversation that they had with their child. So parents just aren't really speaking to their children about this so then it just continues the cycle of things being just kind of overlooked and you know they can't really sympathize or empathize with minorities because they just don't know about it and don't physically experience it so and didn't talk about it with their parents so it's just kind of brushed under the rug of course and that obviously causes more of an issue because the lack of understanding and that in and of itself makes the problem worse. So these studies are super important because it gives us a serious view on where these gaps exist and and why they exist. And if it's a, if it's a comfort thing or if it's a, simply something that they don't view as important, um, it's important for us to understand those reasons and attack them specifically so that we can have those conversations. Uh, there was another study that we looked at that surveyed more than 2,000 adults that were 18 and older when the test was collected from May 21st to June 14th of this year in four major cities, Chicago, LA, New Orleans, and New York. And the purpose of it was to understand how people's views on race were influenced by their parents. Uh, And that's a huge part of of this, right? People will talk about, 
oh, well, your school is supposed to educate you and put you in a position to understand things. And you got to go out of your way to learn things. But if you come from a two-parent household and you have, you know, a great childhood and all these other things, and your parents are, are consistently telling you that this group of people is bad for God knows what reason or no reason, and they just believe that, and that's what they're telling you, that's what you're going to believe. And and the study find, found out that among the white recipients, that 65% said their parents had never or rarely had a conversation with them about race, about racism when they were children. So not only do you get into a group of people who are having conversations that avidly put other people down, but then you're having other, you're not having conversations explaining that racism is a problem or that it even exists. So then they can no, yeah. believe that it doesn't. And I think that what's also not shown in this part of this study that we're talking about is that people of the minorities, you're having these conversations with your parents. When you're a kid, you know, you got to talk like this, walk like this, act like this in public because, you know, people are going to have are, are going to already have preconceived notions about you. So people of minorities are having these conversations, but unfortunately, people who are not of minority, then they're not having those conversations with their parents or their parents aren't having their conversation with them. And then even if they're not saying negative things about that minority, they're it's just ignored. They don't even think about racism happening because they're not affected by it. They don't really know about it. So it's just kind of like not there and exactly. it doesn't exist. And, so, and that's that's an, that's another interesting perspective point that I didn't even think about is that when our parents or parents of, of any black children tell them things like you need to work four times harder or you need to carry yourself a certain way, you need to understand mm -hmm. the way that you're speaking, you need to be mindful of the way that you're speaking, you have to show certain people that you belong in that space and you think about it and you go, okay, this is what my parents are telling me. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's because there is an implicit bias against black people in this country and we need to show that we can survive with the rest you know quote unquote yeah. and that and that's a problem because the, the the white kids that don't get that conversation don't understand don't what we have to go through because, right, they don't experience it because that's not a part of them it's not a part of their life and they don't they don't get that that experience or that lens which causes uh, even more problems when they get older, because now we're talking about, oh, well, we had to do all these things. And they're like, well, that 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 doesn't exist anymore. And you're like, well, I mean, it, it obviously does. does, because when we get into spaces where people look at us a specific way or when people answer the phone and they're like, oh, you sound white, like mm -hmm. stuff like all of these things uh, fall into this this space of racism that exists. And I think people also do get bent out of shape when you bring up the word racism or call someone racist or say what they're saying is racist uh, because they, they find significant offense to the word. And there, a lot of the time it's not even about that. So yeah. when, you know, you call somebody out for saying something that's racist, they get offended because they think that you're calling them a racist. Whereas, you know, you're just trying to put some perspective on it. You're like, Hey, listen, what you said was offensive. And that, you know, that comes down to the educational piece that we're trying to to give out to, to people who don't understand what they're saying. But I think we do need to find a, a space uh, to change that notion of the word from I'm not offending you or, you know, change it from I'm offending you to I'm just trying to educate you and let you know. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully 
right now as racism becomes more of a conversation in just American culture in general, um, hopefully, you know, more and more parents will be more likely to talk to their children about this. So in another study that we found from NPR and the conversation.com found that younger white people were more likely to have parents who talked to them about racism compared to older generations. So it is nice to see that as we grow as a society and culture, that at least, you know, it's becoming more of a conversation in the mm -hmm. homes of white people that, hey, you know, more and more we are having this conversation. We're not continuing to just brush it under the rug like past generations, but are growing and hopefully getting better with this. And then as our generation gets older, hopefully because of this Black Lives Matter movement and more people were a part of it, that, you know, this more parents tell their ch children about it later on. No, of course. And I mean, it is, it is um, interesting. It is surprising that these, you know, these groups have been like, Oh, so, like the, there's this awakening, mm -hmm. which is good. You know, I mean, obviously you want those things to happen and you want people to, to change with time because we don't want history to repeat itself in any way. But, you know, looking at where we are now it's it's starting to, to get back to those those same images that, that we used to see uh, during like civil rights movements and things of that nature for many different groups of people and our generation i thoroughly believe that our generation is the one that has the chance to spin it the way that it needs to be spun and it's our responsibility as the same age group to help educate our peers, which I think is a, a big reason why we're doing what we're doing. Absolutely. And when we can do that, then we can provide the right information for the next generation to help make that more of a cohesive, coexisting time for us. Because, you know, time will tell who is running what, but the more people that we have that are on the same page and understand the equality for everyone and the level playing field for everyone and all these other things that, that racism has taken away from other cultures and other people. So, you know, we're giving our perspective as black people and what we think and how we feel about it. But I think it's important that we also get the perspective of someone who is white and, you know, doesn't face the same issues that we have, but maybe can hopefully understand and then also give us some insight on what it's like in having that conversation with your family or not having that conversation. All right, so we have Kelsey Field on with us today and she is a former NSU graduate and she reached out to us on Instagram and kind of had questions about how do we have conversations with people who do not believe that there is a racial problem or that systemic or systematic racism is present in the United States. So she's here to share her story and kind of give us some insight on what that's like. So go for it, Kelsey. All right. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. So I reached out to you guys um, mostly because this is something um, obviously with the growing um, issue within the country that has really showed its face within my own family. Um, so I um, grew up. I grew up in a predominantly white family. I the only relatives that I actually have that are not white are my three adopted cousins. Um, but I 
I grew up in a very um, mixed racial neighborhood, I'd say, growing up. Um, and then after like going away to college and like going through high school, going to college, I um, started noticing like this divide, I guess, within my own family, really, about whether or not racism and uh, systematic racism particularly existed. Um, and I find myself being confronted with this argument often and not knowing how to really approach it or address it, especially since it's within my own family. And usually those arguments are harder than just, you know, arguing with someone that you don't really have emotional ties with or that you don't have to yeah. go see at family gatherings. Um, yeah. So kind of figuring out how to... I don't want to say tiptoe around the conversation because I feel like it's something that deserves so much more than tiptoeing, but how to, how to start and maintain like the progress of this conversation without just completely being dismissed or losing the interest of the people that need to hear it the most. Right. So, so have you, so you've had this conversation with them and it just kind of results in just divide really? Uh, yes, absolutely. It's, it's just one of those things that, unfortunately, it's like easier not to talk about than it is to talk about. So we just don't talk about it. Um, but it's definitely needs to be talked about, which is why, why I'm here, which is, <laughs> I need to figure out how myself and how people around me, how we can talk about it without just giving up. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think a really important part that people have been trying to reiterate about how we have these conversations and how to bring people in is getting the person that you're talking to to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Absolutely. Because no matter what, this stuff is going to make somebody uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So once that happens, it's it's on the person who brings up the conversation to find a space where you can make it comfortable without tiptoeing, which is obviously a very fine line to work. So in, in my personal experience, what I try to do is create a space of perspective. And what I mean by that is you give the person somewhere to find an attachment, right? So if your family is you know, seemingly family oriented, that's where I would focus my attention, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the police brutality against minorities, specifically the black community, and that's the, let's say that was the avenue of the conversation, then to bring some perspective to it, you say, well, I want you to imagine a scenario where if I were to leave the house, your automatic concern was that someone was going to pose me as a threat, even though I've never been in a space where I could be a threat to them. And then their response could be many things, right? Mm -hmm. Where they can say, well, that, that would never happen because you've done this, that, the other thing, whatever. But then you can come back with something where you're right, but there are so many other people that have done things similar to me who have graduated college, who get good jobs, who have a good head on their shoulders, who come from good families, but get looked at as threats because they are because they're the color of their skin, because of the color of their skin, or because mm -hmm. of a lot of different other stereotypes that exist. Mm -hmm. You know, so finding a connecting piece for whoever you're talking to is super important. 
Yep. Yeah. I think just finding when you can relate it to your own life, same way when you're at school, if you're learning something and you can kind of relate it to your life, you're going to remember it. You're going to understand it more. So if you like how Justin said, if you can find that connecting piece where you can relate it to their life, like how would they feel if they were in that situation? Mm -hmm. Then I kind of that's where I feel like the understanding starts to happen. So like if it's parents, it's like, you know, what if your kid went out in the street and somebody thought that they were threatening and decided to act on that? Or even, you know, if you I think the story of Ahmaud Aubrey is like really huge because I can always say, you know, I run every day in my yeah. neighborhood, but how would you feel if you went out to exercise and someone decides to hunt you down, not because of anything you did, but because you're black, you know, just kind of wh whoever you're speaking to, how can you relate it to their life, whether mm -hmm. their parents, whether they're in school, whatever that may be. I think it's finding that then it's like, you know, Oh, that makes sense this is how maybe I can kind of understand what that would be like if I was in that situation. Yeah. Um, I also like in this, I guess, search to find the right avenue to talk to particularly the people in my family about this. I, um, I started reading the book White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. Not sure if you guys have heard it or read of it. I definitely recommend it. But um, Ooh, thank you. She she talks about she herself is like a white middle aged woman, and she, her job um, is to go into workplaces and schools and talk about racism, basically. So <laughs> she, but she, the whole concept of this white fragility is the that white people. Um, kind of like their immediate defensiveness when the topic of race comes up and and while reading this just like you mentioned like while studying relating it to my own life like while reading mm -hmm. this it it constantly brings up these like memories or just ideas that I've had that like I'm like oh like in my own life like I feel like I've like I've been around this I've witnessed this and I know you guys talked earlier about um about talking about race within the family and that's something that she she brings up and I mean I never in my life had to have a conversation about my race like it just wasn't it wasn't I don't want to say it goes without it goes without saying but unfortunately I think that is the mindset of white people is that our race goes without saying like we don't need to talk about it yeah um and so I, even though I grew up, I, the city I grew up in, I ended up moving. So the, I guess the story of that is I grew up in Southfield, which is right on the border of Detroit in Michigan. Um, and I actually just out of curiosity today, looked up the demographics from the 2018 census. And so Southfield is 70% black and 22% white. The average household income is $56,000. Um, and after I finished kindergarten, um, where I went to school, I went to school out of the city. I didn't go to school in Southfield. Um, but I went after I finished kindergarten, it was time for me to go into public schools. Um, I specifically remember my father saying, we had to move because I didn't want you coming home speaking of onyx and putting your hand on your hip and shaking your finger at me saying uh-uh 
And I like, as an adult now, I'm like, so shook at that statement. No, yeah. Thank you for sharing Um, that with us. But we ended up, we moved to Birmingham, Michigan, which is substantially smaller sized um, city, but the demographics there is 90 or 89% white and 3% black with an average household income of $117,000. So that was, that was like the demographic I went through from first grade till graduating high school. Um, I think I can count on one hand, the amount of black students in my high school. So, um, so, and then relating like all this back to reading the the book on white fragility and people's defensiveness on talking about race and how it's a very taboo um, conversation amongst white people to talk about race, mm-hmm. which is like so frustrating because now more than ever, I think we need to be talking about it. But um, she brought up a really uh, great example that I feel like, like dumbs it down to like anyone can understand that if there's a, a like a white woman with her child in the grocery store and her child yells out, "Oh mom, look at that man. He's brown or black." It would be like the mom would react to immediately like hush her child. Like that's not something you talk about. But if it were just this child pointing out like, "Look how handsome this man is." It wouldn't it wouldn't be something that's oh no, honey, we don't talk about that. You know, and I feel like it's this concept of it, it, like, instilled in us that we don't talk about it. Um, And also, um, it kind of just becomes more, like, I guess, apparent to me on how, how racism and talking about racism has changed over the years. I think that it is, it's actually harder nowadays for us to talk about it because of how I think discreet it is in the sense that like we don't see businesses with white and black restrooms and white and black drinking fountains like it's not as like in our faces um and I I think that that I think that was I think that is honestly the the point of like systematic racism is for it to be more discreet and so it makes it harder to talk about um, because people, white people particularly, always get on the defense of, oh, I have, I have black friends, I have black family members, I, I'm not racist. Um, and so because it's not so blatant in our faces, it makes it, um, I think it adds that extra level of difficulty when pointing it out to someone. Um. Yeah, and I think I think you make a, a really good point. And I think something that has helped me and something that I mentioned earlier is helping change the connotation, mm-hmm. or not even change the connotation, or just understanding the definition of the word racist, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding what that describes. So if we're using that word, right, and I'm telling someone that what they said was racist it doesn't mean that i'm calling them a racist Mm -hmm. it just means i'm telling them that what they're saying was racist and would be offensive to whatever group of people that what they said would offend right so 
that's that's another big part of it is that like like you said it kind of falls back into the the white fragility mm-hmm. is whenever you bring up the word racist to a white person they react as if they've been offended on Absolutely. So many different grounds, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And that's how she, that's how Robin D'Angelo actually defines it as well. She says, every person has prejudice mm-hmm. and like you can't, oh, you can't deny that everyone of every race, every gender has prejudice. And then when you put those prejudice into actions, that's discrimination. But um, when the discrimination is then enforced into law and into our systems is when it becomes racism right and right. and so and she talks about by the the good bad binary of 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 being called a racist so people and white people particularly associate being called a racist a bad thing which i think we can all agree should be a bad thing but right. and then um but non-racism is good and so there's no there's no detachment. It's either good or bad. And so if someone says something, like calls you out for a racist remark, they immediately take offense that you are calling them a bad person. They have bad morals. And, and then that's where that defense comes up. And that's where the conversation starts to shut down and doesn't become a conversation. No, yeah. And I think even right now, I can almost understand where it'd be maybe difficult to speak up on this topic for you know, a white person, because, you know, nowadays, if you say something wrong, if you miss say anything, it's like Mm -hmm. attack, you know, like, okay, you said this wrong, canceled, all that. So I can understand where, you know, we don't want to tiptoe around the conversation, but where you might want to because of the fear of like, okay, this person's racist, you're canceled, blah, blah, blah. So I can see where it's difficult now, like how you said, it's not in your face, but like we do have to talk about it. So it's like kind of trying to find that middle ground of like, okay, let's be uncomfortable. Let's talk about it, but let's not try to, or we don't want to offend one another and we don't want to just dismiss what each other have to say. Yeah. I think it's also important um, to, I guess when we have these conversations or really just any uh, difficult conversation in general, regardless of talking about race or anything, is it's really important when you're speaking to someone in uh, opposing views to you is to keep what you're saying in an I statement. Um, and so you're not pointing fingers at, at them or their actions. And I think that de-escalates the situation as far as like putting them immediately on the defense. They don't have to defend themselves if every if what you're saying is i you know yeah i would have never thought of that like i feel that's actually that's actually that's a really good perspective and i think that's that part of the conversation is actually very helpful and useful for people of the minority Mm -hmm. because when you you find yourself uh, obviously as a minority you find yourself saying we we having these conversations and you for some odd reason end up being the advocate for the entire community that you're having the conversation yeah. about. And that makes the that makes the topic that much more heavy, which makes it difficult for people to have those conversations. Whereas if we change it to a nice statement like you suggested, then we can move it into a personal space where it's like I'm talking to a friend and I'm telling you how you made me feel rather than like I'm going to have you 
think about the wide scope of everything that you just said and understand the years of problems that come with the thing that you just said. So like having that one-on-one piece to it will definitely have an impact on whoever it is you're talking to. And like Brandy and I were speaking about earlier, I think it's important that we get, you know, get it into the people who are closest to you to, to spread it, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's the big thing. Like we have, we have some, uh, some white friends who hang out with other people who may or may not have you know the education or the wherewithal or the wherewithal to to have these conversations or to say things that you know aren't racist Mm -hmm. and it's not that they're obviously like we've like we've been saying it's not like they're racist they just don't know yeah and and ignorance is a huge piece of racism obviously because you you don't you just don't know and you're making assumptions don't realize right so but having having those conversations with your family members or or they're having their conversations with their family members or people in their their community or their church or whatever the case may be then they can get that personal experience that they had with you Mm -hmm. the minority or the person that is in their family and be like hey this i was told that this was offensive and the thing that you're saying is offensive to this specific community and this is why it's important that we that we stop talking like this yeah I think it's definitely easier and um and important to have the conversations and I feel like like in your in your example of either in your church or um within your team or your family I mean all those different sectors you have different things in common with those people and being able to relate to those people in intimate ways um, and parallel like your views with theirs, I think is setting you up to have more successful conversations and educate those people. I mean, I feel, um, I feel like very responsible for educating the people around me, which I feel like in time back um, sometimes backfires on me. Because I, the thing I hate most about talking to people about like either social issues or political issues is them wanting to educate me. And I have to remember that when I want to educate other people mm-hmm. because, because no one wants to be told that they're wrong. they're wrong. So I think there's also that balance of educating without without telling them that this is how they have to believe. No, yeah. And I just want to thank you so much because everything you've said has been extremely insightful and, you know, just the information that you brought with you and not just your perspective, but stats and the book. Like, thank you so much because it's really helpful and allows us to get some perspective as well in your position. Yeah, of course. And thank you guys for letting me have this conversation with you and hopefully taking it outside of this podcast and into the real world. Absolutely. I really do want to thank Kelsey for for being on our show. I think it's super important for those of us who have personally experienced discrimination and racism, making it known to the masses that this is still a current issue and must be dealt with. Those who are allies, such as Kelsey, must also help spread awareness on this issue and help combat it. And I think her being on our show and trying to share her story and her experience is another step 
and spreading that awareness to help get our communities on track and understand what's going on and how severely it affects all of our communities. And I think it gives us some, she gave us perspective in how we can better have conversations with people who are not of the black community or of a minority so that, okay, this is where she's coming from. This is how I can hopefully tackle a conversation with white people in the future when I want to talk about this. For sure. No, I, I think that was great. And I'm, I'm so glad that, that she came in and gave her perspective and, and, you know, even some tips on, on how to have, have these conversations. Yeah. And books, like, I think that's something we forget about too, is like, Hey, you can watch videos, you can be on Instagram and all of that, but Hey, you can read a book and get some real insight and really get you thinking about what's going on and how you can be better when it comes to this issue. Of course. And I think as we wrap up, I think that that's a big part. And I think that everyone should take part in learning as much as they can and in, in getting to the next level of thought. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and review our podcast. Also, please remember to follow us on Instagram at blackandbusiness.jb. DM us and comment on our pictures to let us know what you guys think. We love your feedback and continued support. Please continue to be a part of the conversation and share it with your friends and family. Thank you again. And we are Black in Business.